Inflation is in check. The CPI number came out much less than expected than what Wall Street was expecting and sent stocks soaring to the moon. We saw all three major averages up big today and we saw the 10-year yield drop below 4.5%. What does all this mean? Well, it means the bulls are running on Wall Street again. Welcome everyone to Buy, Hold, Sell. I am your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith out in sunny and hot Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm assuming it's hot. It's 78 degrees, you bonehead. For you, that's freaking, you know, mid-summer. Yes, it's but... tropical. Yes, yeah. very tropical out there. We have a very special guest with us today, though, to break down today's market action and tell us where you want to be for the rest of the year. Samantha LaDuke. She is the founder and president of LaDuke Trading out of Andover, Massachusetts. Samantha, welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Absolutely. Well, we're okay, so let's, happy. Let's not say gentlemen too quickly, okay, Samantha? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Don't let the cart get before the horse. There you go. Well, listen, Samantha, we, we got to start with you because the trading today, it was just complete. We just saw the bulls running, stocks just soared to the moon. Once the report came out at 830, we saw Dow futures jump over 300 points. And it was just all systems go all day long. And the feeling right now is that not only is the Fed not going to be hiking in the at the December meeting, they're likely not going to hike at all going forward, which is always going to be a bullish signal for the markets. But what's your take on all of this? That has been my baseline bet since March 12th. So March 12th was Sunday before the futures market came out and it right. was post Silicon Valley bank fallout. And they basically, they, meaning Fed, Treasury and White House all came together and said, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Basically, we're going to backstop all of these unrealized Treasury losses from this potential bank run. And we're just going to put a stay of execution in all of your worries as it relates to you know, stocks and equities from falling. And literally we digested a little bit back in March and then we have been moving higher since. And my tweet literally on that day was, that's it. This is the in, this is the implied Fed pause. They're going to ratchet down their hikes from here and then they're going to stop. They're, I don't see another hike after, you know, this year. I don't see even a cut this year. I see Fed pause and you buy the rumor of this Fed pause until they cut. Well, Samantha, I, it was interesting to, today to see the odds of 25 basis cuts, a, a quarter percent for all four Fed meetings next year yeah. with yeah. cuts. And, you know, everybody's been waiting for it, it's like, um, you know, the uh, waiting for whatever to show up. Godot to show Godot. up. Yeah. Um, just with your Leduc last name, I wanted Leduc. to throw a little Godot Leduc. in there. OK, the Godot has been the, the lag effect. And. It was, I, I think you make a really good point about the, you know, the, we used to have the mysterious Fed put, and then we have the actual Fed put for about 12 years. And, and then all of a sudden people said, no, the Fed's done supporting the market. And then they came in with all guns blazing. And and, and when Silicon Valley Bank, you know, imploded, that meant other ones are going to go. And I think that was a really good call on, on your part, because in essence, you know, now the emperor has no clothes, right? I'm just going to mix every metaphor I know. Yeah. Um, and, and, okay, and a play and, on and terms. Now, they can't, now they're boxed, they box themselves in. So Fed is trapped. And that's been my mantra. Like I keep I keep talking about this over and over and over again, but it is more than a Fed put. It's the Yellen Yahtzee. So the Yellen, the Yellen Yahtzee is all about this treasury bond issuance. It's a big honking deal because the massive treasury bond issuance that came in 
July 31st was the reason for the season in the gap down in both NASDAQ 100 and SPY on August Whoa. 1st. It was massive. And it obviously continued um, to put a bid, you know, uh, not only in the dollar, but the 10-year, the, the right? So as we had this- itself, Yellen Yahtzee. Yellen Yahtzee. So this is really, really important because Treasury issuance uh, trumps the whole Fed put thing. Fiscal is basically not going down, which demands- you know, more bond issuance. So therefore it's fiscal over Fed. It's yelling Yahtzee over Fed put. I'm a firm, firm, firm believer in that. And wow. now fast forward, we had that gap down on August 1st, immediately after the massive treasury issuance in bonds. And we fell August, September, October, Mwah, beautiful. So I happened to go on a show like this in mid-July, July 17th. And I said, that's it. We're going to roll over. I've got some indicators on my intermarket little, you know, voodoo that says we're going to start to roll over. We did. That was the trigger, though. I didn't have that trigger until I had that trigger. Anyway, right. we fell all the way down, right, from 4,600 to 4,100 right yeah. before. This is so, so, so important. Um, This was uh, Friday, October 27th. Now, if you follow me closely, you would know that there is a 16-week consecutive VIX crush on the yes. Monday, every single Monday. And we literally had that. We had this VIX crush. And that's also into FOMC November 1st. November 1st, okay, after we've had this lovely three-month pullback, was the FOMC intonated Fed pause, you love that word, where basically that also excited the bulls. So by nature, you have VIX suppression, you have the FOMC announcement that they're basically pausing, and then you have Yellen Yahtzee comes out and doesn't issue the massive you know, bonds that are liquidity sucking. She actually kind of mixed it up and put in a whole bunch of bills and kicked the can down the road for the future treasury issuance of heavy bonds to finance the fiscal spending. And long story short, that just, you know, was the animal spirits erupted and we had this massive short covering Biggest rally in three years. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything you said is absolutely marvelous and have been totally accurate. I'm going to yeah. go a little more old old school here. I, I, Todd knows this. I, I, I keep the you know the Wall Street Journal every day, the highs and lows. And um, I've done that since about 1982. And uh, I pulled out my 80s, 90s, 2000s file of the low lows. In other words, where there was the lowest amount of new highs. And every one of those dates was a bottom of a market. And- mm. The date you were talking about uh, on November second was five new highs on the Wall Street Journal list and 1,865 new lows. So maybe you throw that into your matrix because it has been deadly aggregate. Obviously, everyone who had to sell has sold. Yes. All the bears who put the bear position are already bearish. Um, you know, it hit all the oversold uh, signals. And forget about the RSI stuff. But just the, the human beings, yeah. the people who are afraid got washed out. If you look, as I know you do, at the cash balances uh, in the money market accounts and at the brokerage mm -hmm. accounts, you, I think people can make a very strong case that the next leg of this bull market, and, you know, my number was like 4,600. Now I'm going to I'm going to be like Ed Yardini, Todd. I'm going to 4,800. Um, yeah. <laughs> simply not, not because of any more short covering, yeah. 
But because of the cash, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's great to have 5% locked in for a year, but it's only for, you know, until they come down and then you yeah. missed 20 or 25%, A. And then B, the other thing that I'd love to hear you look at, Samantha, or talk about. Yeah, because I have a different perspective than that. So I want to I wanna weigh in when, when you're done. Okay, well, my other point was, the other thing today was just everything that was crap was up 15%. Yeah, that's- and, and micro caps, micro craps were up yep. 18%. Uh, SMHB, my favorite uh, small cap index, I, I, for the last two days, it's been up 25%. Right. So now all of a sudden we're getting breadth. And I, it feels to me, Samantha, like the market is actually sort of acting normal and saying that, well, yeah, the Magnificent Seven have made you know made a lot of money this year, but holy crying, I can buy a bank for 25% of its net asset value. I can buy, you know, blah, blah. And, and it seemed rational today. I don't know. Did, was I smoking something? No, I think, let me just go back. The, the pay to wait mantra was something I had back in September of 2022, which means that you are paid to sit in money markets and T-bills short duration, right? Because the interest that you can earn on your cash might be a safer bet than investing in stocks or bonds. Now, at the time, I didn't know that the bank that we were going to have this global coordinated intervention by central banks in September and October. Remember the gilt blowout and the unprecedented, um, the largest, I should say, yen intervention by Bank of Japan um, that also in, in 24 years, all of that kind of um, coalesced to put uh, a, a bid of support in equities and bonds back in September, October. Remember, we were down below 3,600 SPX. Very different market. Okay, so at the time, it was still a really good um, place to hold out and see where we were going to go, right? So that paid to wait was already in play. What you're talking about, a little bit different, I I have a um, perspective that's a little bit different, is that stocks are moving higher right now, not just because of the Yellen Yahtzee, she pushed out the issuance of bonds. And that does not mean we're going to have fewer of them to finance, right? It's that Q4 is going to have bigger issuance than Q3. Q1 of next year is going to be bigger than Q4 because the fiscal spending is still out of control. So we don't have our house in order, literally, right? So the risk isn't gone. But the reason why we have such strong follow through and everyone's now getting on the bull bandwagon is because the dollar has fallen. So dollar is major, major, major league as it relates to valuing stocks. Right. So particularly the Internet, you know, the international stocks. We've been saying that. If, if, if Apple has $186 billion of cash in a 5% paying money market account, that that essentially offsets the uh, depreciation of the dollar uh, or, or the conversion uh, on dollars, and that it was going to hold up. If the dollar starts to really start coming down, which I, I totally agree with you, then those big multinationals get like three different headwinds. Right. But, but they were already getting paid, right, with their very large cash hoard. So it was. It, it, this is just helping because now the currency conversion for those who derive a lot of international revenue, it's just going to help very large cap uh, plays. But the the big picture to me is that this is the real macro uh, tailwind 
for igniting the bulls. And then on top of that, you've got the short covering and you've got the option gamma squeeze, which is basically this, uh, you know, kind of option market structure. Oh, oh say option gamma squeeze again, would you, Samantha? That's no, dead I have sexy. to. I have to. That's it's the reason for the season. Market makers are the ones who, who actually have to hedge. And this is very, very important for why yeah. we have these directional moves of intensity. So at, at a point, though, they will start to peter out. And the CTAs, which are these price insensitive quants, they're also in the game. And they have to buy and sell at certain levels. So it was just a perfect storm for a bull run. But it was absolutely triggered, no doubt in my mind, on the falling value of the dollar and the softening in the 10-year yield, which, as you just mentioned, right, has, has gotten rejected and rolled over to 4.5. It hit almost 5% just a few weeks ago, right? So the fact that we've come back down strongly is also a nice tailwind for equities. Okay, so that's we're still not at the level that where we were that what you mentioned the July July thirty first we have yet to to clip that uh, for the S and P five hundred so we still have some room to move but that's that's over the short term what are your signals telling you at least going into twenty four because uh, a friend of our of the show and I know a friend of yours as well Jeffrey Hirsch says mm -hmm. is looking at an eight to twelve percent advance in the S and P five hundred for next year what do you think for because we already know how you feel for the rest of the year. What about for next year? Well, first and foremost, we do have an hourly gap fill at 45.76. So that's definitely where we kind of rolled over on August 1st. Q's already filled that, you know, Apple's 190. Yeah. The point is we're really close to getting to, into those areas and it's a dance, right? We've already run so hot in, into the hot, hot sun that we probably have a little bit of exhaustion and, and digestion and that would be healthy. But I'm still not... I know this is going to be kind of like a little bit skittish here, but I'm not convinced that the falling dollar and yields is bullish for equities. So we have a situation right now where bonds have, you know, stopped going down. The Bill Ackman, you know, short cover is one right. thing, um, but I'm still not a big I'm not a bond bull. I think this is basically you get you get some some squeezing going on. You get a nice, you know, solid bounce. Whether or not equities come under distribution with that bond bounce is really what we're waiting to see. In other words, you, risk parity is dead. So right now, bonds and stocks have been moving together higher and lower, depending on, you know, the season. We've not really had any trust by bond bulls that we're going to go back to the old days of risk parity 60-40, where you have actually this kind of inverse relationship that hasn't appeared yet. <laughs> but I think we can have um, a, a bond balance. I think we can have, you know, equities stay in this wide swath of volatility up and down. I don't see the falling dollar and falling yields as so bullish equities. I understand the, the the motivation for what triggered this rally. I understand that it can go a little bit further for sure, especially with large cap because of, you know, the currency advantage, let's say mm. and put it that way. And I also know that the economy is not falling apart. Wage inflation has helped delayed recessions. So from an economic standpoint, we still have consumer spending, right? We still have inflation in our most valuable asset, our homes. You know, we still have, you know, a lot of, of intervention that comes in all the time whenever it looks like we're ready to go over the cliff in equities or bonds. But I Don, don't I think she's being sarcastic. I'm not no, sure. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I don't see this as a bullish backdrop that all is well. Not at all. So okay. I actually think that we can have um, a digestion 
in it with stocks and bonds as the dollar falls. And then this is very important. I know uh, Jeffrey, by the way, mentioned last time about like the first few months of the year. Um, if we don't go higher, it looks like, you know, Biden won't be running again, something like that. It was it was a fabulous kind of analog in the past of presidential um, candidates and how the, the year for an incumbent starts yes. off strong, assuming that the policies will stay the same. So I don't think we're going to have such a good uh, Q1 in 2024. Oh. And then I think actually in about six months, we're going to see these yields that have softened. Well, already from five down to 4.5, but I think we can you know, hit 4.3, 4.1. I think they're going to base and turn much higher. So here's going to be a shocker for you. Uh, okay. I, and I, I did this just I'm because all ears. I knew you would like I'm, some. I'm you know, hanging on, Samantha. Okay, I'm on the edge of my seat, Samantha. Give it to us. <laughs> so last year in September of 2020, clients know this, Twitter knows it's the whole thing. I made a bet that the 10-year would hit 4.7% by the end of 2023. One year out, more than one year out. I basically, September 2022, and I said, this, this is what I see. We're going to hit 4.7 by the end of 2023. So we did. We took it out, right? We hit yeah. 4.99. Anyway, the point is, now that we're coming down, just like any other stock, you want to see it kind of backfill, digest. I think that sucker is going to hit 6.5 by the end of next year. So wow. make hay while the sun shines. Six make hay while the percent. sun shines. I believe That's that. breaking you're news. That, you're making that call based on what it sounds like to me is that you're not really enthusiastic about the next 92 to or the next two trillion dollars that we need to raise to make up for the spending, you know, shortfall, and that you know the Chinese are not buying the bonds, the Japanese have barked up the bonds. Uh, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of the huge players out there. And oh, by the way, the Fed is not buying bonds. They were the largest marginal buyer to begin with, but now mm -hmm. they're selling bonds in theory. I was going to ask you about quantitative tightening. Yes. I follow the Fed numbers every month. I don't see that. The, 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 I don't see that they're buying that much net net. Uh, bonds when you take the issuance versus what they're buying? Well, there are three parts of this. When the, for a while now, right, U.S. Treasuries have been shoved down the throats of banks. They haven't had a choice. <laughs> so then obviously lots of unrealized losses from um, rising yields and all the, the risk premium that kind of builds into that as well, doing the job of the Fed, tightening, et cetera, et cetera, all of that um, is kind of, kind of coming out, that, that air is coming out of the balloon right now. So it's giving the animal spirits uh, in, in equity bull and bond bulls hope. But that that issuance, like you just said, it's not going away. It's it's building over time and it has to be paid. But I think it's also a part of the rhythm of when the banks start to choke, right? The intervention comes in, just like we've had recently, to give them a little respite. They also have that facility, right? The the buy T, no, the BTFP. BTFP, yes. Right. And then when that gets too big, you know, it, it, so in other words, they have lots of programs that they can do to help. I'm, I'm talking about the treasury to help the banks and, and such kind of deal with this before they have to go in and buy again. And so right now, the the fact that we definitely have um, falling uh, foreign buyers and Japan and China among them, we also have inflation that's getting stronger in Japan. And that is going to create potential disturbance in the force if they have to pivot, meaning remove negative rates. And that's going to obviously also kind of help that US dollar peak narrative that I've been talking about. 
um, with some rotation into yen. But I think that that's to be determined. And right now it's more of an intellectual discussion. There's talk about January, but th there's a lot of threat ahead in who will absorb this treasury issuance to fund fiscal. And inflation is really a problem, is really a fiscal problem. So even though we have this lovely immaculate disinflation that's been in play this year, and that's what bulls love to see, right? This okay. immaculate disinflation. I think we got maybe- well, it's immaculate, Samantha. I don't know. I don't buy my immaculate, okay? <laughs> that's, it's, that's it's been pretty immaculate. Like... It's been pretty immaculate from what I've been able to see. Well, I think it's going to end. I think, it, you know, we, okay. we have about, uh, you know, three to six months, and I think that's going to end, and then we're going to start to uh, move higher. Uh, she's saying that the pixie dust is starting to end. Yes. We drop so much pixie dust, and then uh, economic gravity is the word I'm looking for. There you uh, go. Takes over. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, so I'm an well, editor, Samantha. So I take all these really long sentences and I put them into like six words. That's what I do. Clear and concise. Thank you. Very good. Todd, let's go. My head's going to explode. I want to find out. Let's leave it down on this block because, I mean, obviously the six spot, 5% on the 10 year for next year yeah. is a big deal. It's breaking news. It's a buy, hold, sell exclusive. Yeah, so what else is Samantha going to say? Because we're going to leave it there on this block. But coming up after the break, we got to talk about sectors. We got to talk about the retail sales number that's coming out this week, how that's going to lead into consumer spending for the rest of the year. But we have a whole lot of stuff to get through. And I know Samantha's going to give us a whole bunch of breaking news stories for us as well. So we'll be right back after the break. Give me an extra couple minutes. I need to get a massage before I come back. I'll catch you back. <laughs> Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast on any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. 
On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? I'm Jessica Inskip from the Market Make Her podcast and Director of Education and Product at Options Play. You're listening to Buy, Hold, Sell with Tobin and Todd. So we have a very special guest with us today, Samantha LaDuke. She is the founder and president of LaDuke Trading. We welcome the audience to go to LaDukeTrading.com, see what Samantha has to say, all the services that she offers. And Samantha, I had to put on my glasses. Everything you're saying is so intellectual and it really is getting into the weeds of really dissecting this market and what we might be looking at next year. Your forecast for the 10-year yield at 6.5. That's all I heard. That's that 6.5% is just a monster number. So now let's start talking about individual sectors right now. One of the hottest sectors, obviously, is tech. We see the NASDAQ is already up 9.7% in the month of November and doesn't appear to be slowing down. Give us your forecast because we talk about the Magnificent, Magnificent Seven a lot on this show. And uh, But what's your forecast for the tech sector? Is this something that all investors should be taking a look at? Can I share a chart? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let me just share this chart real quick because you're bringing it up and I'm going to go and answer it live. See this t- particular chart right now? Yes. yes ma'am. All right. That's the MAG7. This is basically a, a formula where you just put all of the big magnificent seven, you know, mega cap tech stocks together. Take a look. It's on a weekly time frame. You can see back here in October, November, where obviously we had a very large intervention where uh, equities stopped going down, bonds too. And then we had a pullback, I'm, you know, into the January effect, right, which was right here. You can see this kind of time frame. Yeah. And then we had the bank bailout right here in March. Loose monetary yeah. policy, by the way. NASDAQ loves loose monetary policy. And now you've kind of formed this wedge, right? So I literally posted this chart for clients on October 26th. And I said, bounce hard or trounce hard. Right here, this is literally seven stocks. You're mag seven. They're going to do something, right? So they came down to support, and this is where they are as of today. Very, very strong breakout for two weeks and two days. When you say, okay, let's take a look. We all know about the concentration risk since the January effect, since the March bailout. And of course, we just talked about the large moats, right? The monopolies, the safety bet. It's really a concentration risk bet because nothing else, quote unquote, is safe. Not treasuries for a while, right? Until just recently when yields started to soften. Uh, Not value or small caps. Oh, goodness, they're full of zombies. So you kind of look at this and you go, what is safe? Well, that's too easy. Like, you know. (laughs) Come on, Samantha. (laughs) It's been working for me for freaking 12 months. Whatever. Well, it's too easy. And it's also, be careful, because it can also form what's called a fake breakout and a fast failure. So that's something to look for because they are so extended. They are so I exhausted. I hear fast failure and I, I think of high school, but keep going ahead. 
<laughs> so the fake breakout fast failure is just basically this uh, exhaustion signal, which obviously hasn't triggered yet. We clearly mm -hmm. are in uh, melt up mode. And now, as you also mentioned, kind of, I don't know if it was on camera or off, but breath is starting to expand again, which is a big honking deal. Yeah. One of the reasons why I got very, very bearish in late July was July 17th was because I could see that breath was starting to peter out and roll over and net buying versus selling something that I track was also starting to peter out and roll over. And then it did on August 1st. We just covered the reasons why all kinds of reasons, plus the Fitch downgrade. That wasn't a warning like Moody's on Friday. That was a credit downgrade. The point is it kind of it came together and that was the trigger we were looking for, but they already smelled it. In other words, it was sold to you market up into that point. Right now, we've got a lot of incredible kind of like outlier um, charts and not just the meme, uh, what you were talking about, the oversold, you know, yeah. we'll call them junk. I call it dash for trash, but that's called factor rotation. It's a hedge fund factor rotation. And it means that they are heavily long the VIP stocks and heavily short the junk, really the dash for yeah. trash. And when you start to see that come up off the bottom, it's short covering. So sure. th that's 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 a sector rotation that had a really big debut back in July. So in June, we had a value rotation, which was basically that breadth started to expand and it lasted for two months. So it kind of started with NVIDIA's earnings in May, junior tech got all excited. Then June, we had a value rotation for a month that turned into the hedge fund factor rotation in July, and then everything rolled right back over in August, right? So that's what's happening right now. We're having that kind of euphoric concentration risk in mega cap tech, and we're having some broadening out of the of the breadth so that those meme stocks and other oversold, you know, the Carvanas and the Wayfair and, you know, all the heavily indebted stuff that may or may not make it is also popping up like a daisy. So everything is bullish. Okay, okay. Until it isn't. Quick, and real quick, for the for the audience that's listening to the audio version of this episode, we definitely uh, invite you to, to check out the television program of I Hold Sell because Samantha's chart will be available on the show for that. Toby, what do you think about all of this? I mean, you're a big tech guy. You just looked at that chart. Do you, how are you feeling? You feeling bullish? Well, I mean, I, I would say three things. Uh, first off is uh, I'm not as smart as Samantha, so I'm going to go a little uh, duller here. You have the AI beneficiaries. Yeah, look at the size of this head. I know, but half of it, half of it, you know, the alcohol has just turned into mush. The AI massive AI beneficiaries to me as an old mutual fund manager was the safety trade. I, I could come up with 12 reasons why I wanted to own, you know, the Magnificent Seven um, plus plus. Like, you know, matter of fact, Jeff Hirsch had this stock before I did, but SMCI, which is, is essentially <laughs> has a supercomputer chassis that are all filled with NVIDIAs. We bought it 150 bucks. I sold uh, 4,000 shares today at $300 on the nose. And uh, what I'm saying is, is that the market within the market of the is, is if people actually know what the F they are doing about AI and understand how actually a data center works and what chips you have to have in it and what type of fiber optics you have to have in it, it would make sense that if you take the net spending on data centers over the next six to 12 months, which is up 21% over the year before, that that spending is going to go into SMCI, Marvell Technology, uh, Palo Alto Software, 
you know, uh, Aristonet, all of those stocks, Samantha, if you put them on a chart, you will see that they have pulled back. We waited for them to pull back again to add. They, they pulled back classically to their 50-day on higher than average volume. Then it pooped out. The sellers ran away. The FOMO chasers, you know, got their heads bashed in and said, I'm never going to buy a stock again, which is one of my favorite days of the year. Um, and, and then the real buyers who actually understand what the F they're doing are saying, you know, on a forward basis, SMCI is selling at an 18 PE and it's going to grow its earnings 54% a year for the next two years, guaranteed, unless there's a tsunami that takes over the entire world. So to me, there was a lot of rational buying in the spaces where I'm an inflection transformity investor. What we do is we look for transformational change and the inflection point of where it takes off and where supply demand uh, exceeds. I'll give you another example. When um, uh, the you know the Panama Canal closed and all of a sudden now you can get 20 ships through there. Well, guess what? Half the world operates on liquefied petroleum gas, LPG. Mm-hmm. We were buying LPG tankers the very large ones like Cray Cray, those stocks are all up 150% for us. They're paying 30% dividends. So my point is, yeah, macro, 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 yada, 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 yada. But there are significant opportunities. And now, I've got, I'm looking at, at regional banks, the selling for 25% of their net asset value. I'm looking at, I'm not a value buyer, but I'm an opportunistic buyer. And if the market narrative is that interest rates are going to be cut next year, we, we bought a stock yesterday called Alexander yeah. Real Estate. The ticker symbol is A-R-E. Nobody understands what the F these guys do. What they do is they build uh, specialized buildings for biotech companies. We're a big bio and tech investor. And, I, and uh, one of my private clients uh, is one of their biggest tenants, right? The stock got down to two times cash flow. They, have, uh, they don't have any variable debt. And the stock's been up 28% in the last two days. My point is, when the narrative changes on interest rates, if you look at the bottom of the barrel, regional banks, the REITs that have been blown up, obviously the Russell 2000, but particularly this SMHB, which is a leverage, we've made, I mean, I mean 50, 60% returns in weeks. And it's just that you never heard of any of these stocks. But the opportunities available to everybody, if you believe, as I believe, which was good, we have a bull bear on rates, that regardless, yeah. here's, here's my argument against your monetary theory deal. If, I go back to my philosophy classes, if the Fed has been essentially flooding the market with free money for uh, all this time, and we still had no inflation, why is that? And the answer I come up with is because there was much as much disinflation as there was in, in, in monetary inflation. And it wasn't until we got into the crazy of the 2020, um, you know, everybody gets a check and $7 trillion of stimulation. That money hasn't gone away. It's still in the system. So my monetarist perspective, uh, without a PhD, I would like to say, uh, is that until that money comes out of the system, it's got to go somewhere. It went yeah. into 5% bonds over the last three to four months. And now all that money, all of a sudden, people say, hey, honey, how come uh, my brother-in-law's freaking uh, LPG yeah. stocks and his SMCI, how come those stocks are up like freaking 40% and we're only getting 5%? And that to mm-hmm. me is the deal. Now, if you're right on your 6.5%, then I'm going to have very tight shortstops on anything that has to do with a bank <laughs> or a real estate investment trust. Mm-hmm. But even, or the utilities, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, okay. Florida Power yeah. and Lights. 
now, you know, NWE. Well, let's parse this out. The BTFP, which is where obviously banks are hiding out so they can kind of navigate and other such facilities. If you're so confident that, you know, inflation isn't a fiscal problem, then those facilities shouldn't exist. They should just have the law of natural consequences and obviously uh, the fiscal spending. But we don't. Right. So we still have to somehow keep the markets uh, from, you know, falling and and keep the economy from falling. And all of it to me is a a moot point right now because they keep coming in and showing their hand. They don't dare have price discovery. So that doesn't mean there aren't some fabulous value plays out there. I do the same thing. I run a long only portfolio in addition to the swing, in addition to the chase timeframes. And again, just to kind of clarify the chase stuff, because I run a live trading room, you know, for do it yourself, mostly active traders and investors, they, ask questions about, you know, market direction and sector rotation and stock selection. And then I obviously have my own trade setups that I share, chase, swing and trend. But the trend stuff is long only. Right. So I this is this is regard. There's a macro backdrop and sector rotation that comes into picking some of this stuff like oil as an inflation hedge, you know, back in 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 late 2020. I still have those fabulous, you know, energy plays. Uranium also was included with that. Yeah, we're um, big we're, we're big uranium players, but again, correct. to me that's a supply demand issue. Well, Not- it, it, it it is a theme though that I've yeah. had, you know, since fall of 2020. So those aren't going away, but they've started especially in the oil and gas space, right? To kind of of of, of digest for lack of a better word. And there are other building materials is a fabulous sector. There's some some really, really great spots in there. Medical distribution also has been phenomenal performer for us for the past two, three years. Um, I have a whole list of you know, portfolio positions that are doing really, really well, and none of them are Bitcoin or tech. Hmm. Okay, well, wow. I, I, would, I, I would say this, the other thing that I noticed today, so we had some buy stops on some home builders, because again, the thesis was, well, if interest rates are coming down, then that's going to help the home builders. Well, the biggest stock we had today that moved was Builder, B-L-D-R, which yes, owns love that all one. the, you know, the stuff that goes into a house. If 6.5 is correct, and what's your time frame? Is that like January, February, Samantha? By the end of next year. Oh, end of next year. Okay. Well, forget about that. I don't care about that. I have a thought. I thought you were saying it was like January of uh, 2024. Well, yeah, no, that this is a year. In other words, I made the, the bet in September of 2022 that we would reach 4.7 by the end of 2023. Check. Now yeah. I have to make my new prediction. This is the year, this is the time frame, right? That you make the okay. new predictions. So mine is six and a half by the end of 2024. All right, Todd, we'll put her down for whatever that day is in 2024. <laughs> yes, yes, we will. So before we close out the show, I want to touch on retail sales. Uh, we have the retail sales data that's coming out for the month of October. Last month, we saw an upside surprise due to back to school. Uh, shopping season was, uh, was robust. What's your take on the consumer? Do you think the consumer is going to continue to spend money going into the holiday shopping season? And what does this translate to to some of the retail stocks that are out there? All right. So first, let me just pull back a little bit and do a little bit of the macro shtick, right? Because that's always going to be my backdrop. And then I'll go and look at the sector and then the individual stocks. So from a macro standpoint, I had a big thesis that wage inflation delayed recession. So it it is very much that the first two years, 20, 
2020 and 2021, the inflation absolutely beat out the the gains in wage inflation. Then we kind of played a nice game of catch up. So we actually got through kind of the the meat of that uh, big headline CPI, right, of 9.1% in June. And anyway, so wage inflation started to compete and, if you will, not only outperform productivity, but also um, outrun the inflation as inflation was decelerating from the headline, which was very, very helpful for consumer spending. So that's been in play for 2022-2023. So that's one of the reasons why the recession callers didn't unfortunately prove correct is because it was just- Unfortunately. Samantha, what Okay, no, 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 for them, for them, no, no, no. For them, unfortunately, but my point is- Oh, okay, it's very, I was confused. Yeah, no, no, no. So nominal GDP has Damn been- Damn we didn't have a recession. Jeez. No, we didn't. We don't have one. Nominal GDP had been growing, but that's mostly government spending. So real GDP, however, is flat. PMIs are still flat. GDI, wow. um, gross um, domestic income, is flat. So we don't really have a robust economic engine at work here, but we definitely had consumer spending because wage inflation has absolutely outpaced inflation. That's been very, very helpful. I think you can see now, right, all kinds of negotiated union wages and, and strikes that have succeeded. And we're, it's those input costs are going to stick around for a while. Companies have done an extremely a good job in earnings, by the way, of passing higher prices along. And they've been absorbed because they're maintaining margins nicely, but it's on declining revenue. So, so far, earnings have proven that they are beating, they usually do, the bar is always, you know, you know, low. Oh. But the point is, they are beating by having such tight control over profit margins, but they're beating on declining revenue. Investors want to see higher revenue <laughs> and good earnings um, and, and, and good margins. So I think that's going to start to get challenged again in the first part of next year. It's just part of the cycle or end of cycle that I think we're going to start to see companies starting to buckle the higher costs of financing, which is going to be a big thing, by the way, in 2024, because so many companies- Especially if we have a six and a half percent Fed rate. Hundred percent, and especially as they have, you know, done so much of the refinancing in on the bottom of 2020. That's got to start to kick up. They got to start to uh, to, to refinance. Well, well, Todd, if you looked at the data today, again, I'm going to go a little bit shorter sentences with less the consonants <laughs> and stuff. The gas, the the reason why inflation, core inflation was down, it was flat. The other, you know, PCE inflation was down because of gasoline prices yep. and used car prices. And fuel, just well, across the board. Oil, is fuel. Gas. I don't know about up there in Massachusetts, but down here, you know, gasoline's fuel. And and at the at the marginal buyer level, marginal household, uh, if if they're saving two hundred bucks a month on on gas, and that means their heating costs are down, so on and so forth, they have, they have extra money. But but we've left up, out the part about the fact that we had the world record in the last three months of new money going on credit cards, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and so. You know, I, I here I'd agree with Samantha in saying that, you know, this thing will come to an end uh, uh, in terms of peak. But who wants to be in retail stocks, Todd? You're the, oh. like the craziest guy I've ever seen. All you do is ask about Target and, you know, what be Walmart. Do you want to be no, I, I'll tell you, I have three. I have three. Okay, give us stocks. three. Give us three, Samantha. OK, so I have two that are on my trend long only Walmart and BJ's. So. Costco's actually, it was a swing long. I took it off. I regret that I took it off. But the point is, there's time where money kind of goes sideways, it's dead money, and then technically it can break out of patterns. Costco was a great swing. I know Munger's crazy about it and a few others. But the point is, I really liked 
uh, it's it's cousin BJ's and I yeah. have for years and I also um, have Walmart. So those are the only and TJ Maxx. Oh, my God, I forgot that because I cut I cut Costco. Those three are it. Those are the only retail that I have. OK, well, you know, and also it's, it's a timely it's a timely topic, um, not just because the retail sales data is coming out, but everybody's talking about what the consumer is going to be like, the health of the consumer as we go into to the Christmas uh, season. And so everybody wants to know, will we see the robust spending that we have seen? Yeah. And you are right, Toby. So many people are actually borrowing on their credit cards, but they continue to spend. They well, continue I just, to- you know, my, my thought is, you know, what I hate is the term the consumer, as if it's some aggregate of it, it, the consumer is the top 25% of the households who have 78% of the discretionary spending. I don't care about anybody else other than the top 25% because there's an order of magnitude more discretionary spending than the bottom 50%. It's just like the bottom 50% owns 5% of the wealth in the world. The top 20% owns 72% of the wealth. I mean, I don't care about the consumer. I care about the upper 25 percentile. And the upper 25 percentile, we are spending our asses off. Well, the consumer is our audience. And I want to cater to the consumer. No, the consumer. No, is- your audience are boomers, and they're absolutely the ones that are spending. Absolutely. The are not, and they're absolutely the ones accruing massive amounts of credit card debt mm-hmm. at incredibly high rates. So, hmm. well, the only <laughs> boomer in this trio right now is Toby, and we are. I'm just anyway. saying, uh, it, it, uh, it, it's going to be very, it, it's going to be very interesting. There's a triple A does this thing about the price of gasoline average, and then they there's somebody else takes that data and creates it into a retail sales forecast. It's very highly correlated that retail sales in the aggregate uh, go up when gasoline prices come down. I mean, that's shocking, right? But we're still a 73% service economy. So I follow much more service spending that I do on buying tchotchke shit you don't need at your house that doesn't count. What I'm trying to say is there's only like 12 factors in the whole economy that count, Todd. Everything else is just noise and it gives CNBC something to talk about. They're meaningless when you're trying to forecast macro, in my opinion. Okay. Um, So no no tchotchkes for Christmas for Toby. I mean, I'm going to make a note of that. And they're also not hiring a lot of workers. I mean, Amazon already had Walmart announced they're not putting in um, additional workers. Yeah, 200,000 people. Right. Exactly. So I'm I'm not excited about the season, honestly, but I think that as you just delineated, there are two groups, very, very bifurcated groups, the boomers who are spending hand over fist because they've got it. Again, they're earning, you know, interest on their cash and the millennials who are very frustrated on the affordability of autos and homes. And yeah, it just, yeah, I go. just had a subscriber who is becoming a managed account. We'll end it at this. He's a boomer. He's getting ready to retire. He's going to be 70 uh, in like January. And he sends me his, his broker statement, financial statement. And he says, Toby, I'm really worried. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get by. I've got 1.7 million in one IRA and, and then another 1.2 million in another IRA. Will I be able to get by on $3 million? I said, you know, the, the, the average yield in our income portfolio right now is about 11 and 12%. If you can't get by on 250 grand a year, then you got to cut your, you know, I don't know about where do you live in Manhattan? Can you uh, tell that to Congress? 
I'm serious. How about how about we tell them to live within their means? Because that's the biggest issue. So yeah, yeah. Right, well, that's a subject for a whole different matter. So we'll man, have that show later on. We'll have month. that show later on. When does the when does the Congress get off the crack pipe? Uh, there you go. Point? But we'll talk we'll talk about that another time though. That's for sure. So Samantha, you know, everybody can follow you or go to LaDukeTrading.com. But what's mm-hmm. your Twitter handle? Because I know you're very active on there. I'm at Samantha LaDuke, L-A-D-U-C. So yeah, either place, happy to engage. I'm very happy to, to meet you gentlemen. And I had not heard of you before. And it was kind of nice that uh, Jeffrey was the uh, trailblazer here. So yes. I could get this invite and talk shop, macro to micro, sector rotation. I don't know what retail sales are going to be. Well, that's dead that you're sexy, on- sector rotation. I like I it. I know that you're going to be on top of it. Whatever it is, whatever it comes out to be, you're going to be talking about the hottest print of the day and the stocks that you want to have uh, into the year end. But for right now, I would say just be careful. It's a little exhausted. And uh, the Santa might have come a little bit early. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh-huh. Well, we will find out. That's for sure. So, uh, so Samantha, thank you again for joining us today on Buy, Hold, Sell. Uh, we, brilliant analysis. That's all I can say. Well, I thank you, gentlemen. One of the smarter guests that, that we've ever had on the show. So this is great. And we will have you back. That's for sure. Especially when we get. Samantha, to Todd is exhausted. Products. I don't know if you can tell us, but he was processing everything you've said. And now he's going to go take a, you know, a cold bath. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go write my client post because this is what I do every afternoon is sum up, summarize everything that's going on in the market and get it out there for them so they can actively trade it. I wish right, you a great send rest of the week. Email so we can get a copy. I will. So, Cheers. We will. So that's fantastic. So on behalf of Samantha LaDuke and Tobin Smith, I am Todd Schoenberger. Thank you once again for joining us on Buy, Hold, Sell. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.